If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you, and what a special Erev Shabbos it is. It's the Shabbos before Purim, a time of great joy, a time of great festivity. It's Zachor, the Shabbos that we take our two Torahs. And for the Haftarah and the Maftir, we read about what Amalek, the arch enemy of the Jewish people, tried to do to the Jewish people while they were on their journey out of Egypt toward Sinai to receive the Torah. And, of course, it's Titzava, the Parsha of the week, a very special Parsha. A Parsha strangely doesn't contain the name of Moshe. In fact, it's the only one from the time of his birth until almost the very end that his name is not mentioned. And, in fact, we have to ask ourselves why. And as I've said so many times, things come together at a specific time. They have a relationship. The fact that it's Tetzavah, the fact that it's the Shabbos before Purim, the fact that it's the, well, the Shabbos of Zachor, of remembering what Amalek tried to do to us. We have to understand how these ideas, how these events, in fact, not only come together at the same time, but they merge. They allow us to understand the depth of what, in fact, is happening at this time by each one illustrating, highlighting a specific dimension of what makes this Shabbos so very special. Every Shabbos is special, of course. We read the Torah, we go through the motions of what Shabbos is all about, sitting around the family table, making Kiddush, singing songs, etc., etc. But when, in fact, a Shabbos has certain other dimensions connected to it and with it, this is something which is extraordinary, and we have to understand what in fact is extraordinary, because as I often say, we're here to learn the Parsha, the Torah, the Jewish events are here to teach us something in our own personal lives and development, and therefore we're obligated to understand how each one of these dimensions has something of great purpose to teach us, something that will make us appreciate and understand not only the events, not only the special time, but how it affects our own lives. Our lives are complicated. Every single individual is a combination of so many different elements. And sometimes a person doesn't really understand how the energy that exists at a particular time does impact so powerfully on all the dimensions of one's life. A person being a creature of complication, put together with a great many dimensions, must ultimately, in a state of development and maturity, must ultimately understand how each and every one of those elements has to be highlighted, each and every one of those elements must be developed, and how each one contributes to the overall purpose and joy of life. And this is why this Erev Shabbos today is so very special. As mentioned before, the Parsha is Tetzaveh. The Parsha is the Shabbos before the festival of Purim. And of course, it's Zachor, remember. Now, Zachor, of course, is the commandment that God gave the Jewish people, remember what a Amalek tried to do to you. This is not merely an event in Jewish history. Remember those events. This is not what memory is all about. You've often heard me say that memory is the pathway all the way back to your very origin. Memory is an exceptionally powerful element within the human being. 
the ability to remember, the necessity to remember, the necessity to remember moments of importance, and each and every single moment of life is important. But memory serves a different purpose as well. Memory, strangely enough, helps us forget painful moments, difficult moments, less than exciting moments. Memory kind of puts it into some sort of closet deep within the psyche of memory, and we forget certain things. Yes, we remember great and wonderful and joyous things. We remember moments that we felt uplifted. But very often, memory is also a process of forgetting and what Torah is telling us that not everything has to be remembered at all times. That can bring about a tremendous state of confusion to the individual when too many events, particularly difficult events, come together and invade the consciousness of the individual. Memory has to be extremely selective. Memory has to be not only selective, but to allow in those elements of remembering which are of great benefit to the individual. And this is something which is important for us to understand. To sit back and to daydream and to think about things that happened yesterday, a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. It might be an interesting pastime, but unless it has a practical, positive dimension to it, something that you can use here and now to continue your journey of life in a positive and constructive manner, that type of memory is not necessarily something which you should be concentrating on. Yes, of course, it's nice to sit back and reflect upon those great moments of life. But unless it's something that can teach you here and now how to continue your journey of life, it's best to think about other things. It's best to remember other things. And this is why from time to time, Torah God through Torah tells us precisely what we should be remembering at a specific time. And it's the Shabbos before Purim where God says to us, Zachor, remember what Amalek did to you on your journey out of Egypt, marching towards Sinai to receive the Torah. What was the purpose of Amalek? Amalek wanted to destroy the Jewish people. But it was far more insidious than that, as we'll soon hear. It was not only trying to destroy the Jewish people, but trying to destroy them in a particular type of manner. And this is something that we have to understand. Amalek is a chameleon. He appears in different shapes and different forms. He can appear as your very best friend. He can appear as something which you feel absolutely comfortable with. But Amalek is very sinister. Very shrewd. Amalek comes along and tries to break down the passion that we feel for holiness and for good things. Amalek is exceptionally clever. He knows if he comes straight on as an enemy with the desire to destroy us, we will resist him. We will defend ourselves. But if he comes along as something that we find desirable and accepting, then, of course, we are not protecting ourselves. We allow him in. And this is what Torah tells us. When it comes to the Shabbos before Purim, remember what Amalek did to you. And by remembering, you will approach the festival of Purim, the festival of intense joy, with far greater purpose and far greater passion. More of that soon. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. 
We're talking about the idea of remembering and how remembering is a very powerful energy within the human being. The fact that he is able to transport himself, herself back in time and relive certain experiences. This is the power of memory. It's not only vaguely remembering an event of the past, but to actually relive it, to make it current, to make it real. And a person must assess, is that experience something which is going to provide constructive, positive energy to my life now? Or am I thinking about remembering certain situations sometimes best forgotten? And while, of course, nothing is ever truly forgotten, but put aside, I should be concentrating on other images, other moments in my past life. And this connects immediately with the Megillah, with the story of Esther, Megillah Esther, that we're going to read on Monday night and Tuesday morning. Megillah Esther is a fascinating story, a story which every child knows, every child understands and knows, and what a celebration, a beautiful princess, evil Haman being struck down, the king showering his attention and his blessings upon Mordechai and the Jewish people, a story that contains all the elements. Ask anybody who writes drama or that sort of thing. It has all the elements. It's a wonderful story, a great beginning, a frightening middle, a tremendously triumphant end, a story of, well, monarchy, a story of beauty, a story of courage, a story of intrigue, a story that really touches all the right buttons as a story should. But as our commentaries point out, you can't read Megillat Esther, the story of Esther, at face value because it contains within it tremendous elements of depth, of insight, of godliness. And strangely enough, as we know, the name of God is not mentioned not once in Megillat Esther, the book of Esther. But Megillat Esther is a story that, as mentioned, contains tremendously powerful messages. And this is why, if you have the time, if you have availability, of looking at some of the commentaries on Esther, and there are many, many of them in English as well, easy to read and easy to understand, which talks about the historical context, who these individuals were, how each and every one of them was not merely somebody who appears on stage at a given moment, but someone that has tremendously powerful dimensions to their lives, and how each one plays a very, very specific role. And who's the first one that we're introduced to? That's Achashverosh, the king of the time. We don't have the time right now, but it's quite fascinating when you begin to study and read the true history of who this Achashverosh was. At this time, he happens to be the king of 127 countries. In fact, the entire civilized world from as far away as India to Ethiopia. He has control over all those lands, over all those peoples. And how does the Megillah actually begin? It says, Vayehi, and it was, Bimei Achashverosh, in the days of Achashverosh. And our commentaries point out that the very word Vayehi indicates already that while we think we're going to read about the story of a king who gets intoxicated at a feast and kills his wife Vashti, far from it. 
Vayehi means Vehaya. It was a time of woe for the Jewish people. A time of great potential disaster. It was a time, and as we see in the Megillah itself in the book of Esther, not only the rise of Haman, who was determined to kill all the Jews in all the lands in one single day, but it's a time of woe, vehaya. It was a time of woe for the Jewish people simply because they forgot who they were. They began to live, well, like the people in the core of Ahasuerus. They forgot the laws that governed their lives as Jews. They forgot where they came from. They forgot the promises they made at Sinai. They forgot the true history of the Jewish people. They forgot the fact that they came from greats like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They forgot the fact that Moses taught them the Torah. There was such a tremendous wave of tragic assimilation. The Jews drifted far away from who they were. And what they needed was a proper dose of memory to remember who they were, to remember where they come from, and by remembering properly, knowing full well where they have to go, their history and their destiny. And other commentaries point out Vayahi means, and it was, in the past tense. And as mentioned before, memory. Memory is something which is extremely powerful. But if, in fact, you concentrate on those things that don't direct you in the positive and constructive direction here and now, those memories for the time being are best forgotten. And what did the Jewish people remember? Did they remember who they are, where they came from, their tremendous purpose in the world? They have to be a light unto nations. They have to be the model, the example of decency, of morality, of ethical behavior, of faith in God. Did they remember those elements of their lives? No. They began to remember, well, destructive elements of their lives, the physical life, the pleasures of life being accepted among the host nations where they lived, forgetting who they are. And this is what Zachor has to do with the Megillah, with the Book of Esther. Of course we know that Haman was a great-grandson. He was a descendant of the evil Amalek himself. And we know the intention of Amalek, and we know the intention of Haman was to destroy the Jewish people. But in fact... This is not how the book of Esther begins. It talks about a different type of memory. It suggests that the Jewish people were not concentrating on those memorable moments of life which are spiritually uplifting and bring great pride to the Jewish identity of each and every single Jew and Jewess. This is something which they forgot. They so desired to be accepted in the court of Ahasuerus by the people who lived in those lands rather than remaining loyal to God. They forgot who they were. They forgot where they were going. They forgot where they were coming from. Now what was, as I said before, the intention of Amalek? The intention of Amalek was not only to destroy the Jewish people. That was his goal. But he knew that if in fact he tried to do it directly, there would be incredible resistance and defense. What did he try to do? The Pesach tells us that we're going to read on Shabbat. Asher He is an individual who tried his very best to soften, 
to tone down the Jewish passion that the Jewish people possess for their faith, for their God, for their identity. Now, a person, in order to be real, has to be passionate about who or she is. We can't live a life of, well, ordinary neutrality. There has to be a passion, a passion in a relationship, a passion in faith, a passion for what one does, a passion for skills, a passion for life. In whatever we do, what defines, in a sense, the true consciousness of life is the passion that we express about any given thing. Now, as Jews, we have to make sure that we ourselves develop that passion and we pass that passion on to our children and our children's children. But if we possess passion for other things and forget about the passion for our Jewish faith, not only are we not living life properly, not only are we denying our origins, our roots, our beginnings, we are also crippling the future generations because they will never, unless unless something miraculous happens, they will never have a passion for who they are Jewishly. And this is how the Megillah begins, Vayahi, and it was. Destructive memories, negative memories, not something which is positive, not something which is good. What did Amalek try to do? To cool down the people. I remember... When we first came here in 1972, in the early 70s, there was a young university student at the time who was becoming quite close through our association, to his Jewish origins, etc., etc. And somebody prominent in this community came to the parents and says, you have to be careful to protect your child. Those, referring, of course, to Torah-observant Jews, those are dangerous people. This is what a Amalek does. Amalek throws in an element of doubt, of uncertainty. Amalek says, are you becoming from?" The very term from indicates that somebody who tries to be extremely and passionately loyal to God, to Torah, to the mitzvot, is meshuga, deranged, strange. And this happens time and again. Have you become kosher? Have you become an observant Jew? Have you begun to behave in a way which puts you within the realm of those individuals who aren't completely sane, normal, acceptable? This is what Amalek does. And tragically, this is what Ahasuerus did to the Jewish people as well. Why was it Vayehi? Why was it Vehaya? Why was it a time of woe for the Jewish? Because Ahasuerus tried to bring the Jewish people into disrepute by exposing them to lifestyles that were contrary to God, to his law, and encouraging the Jewish people to behave. He made a feast and wanted the Jewish people to participate in the type of feast that a Jew should not feel comfortable with. He tried to influence the Jewish people to forget about their faith. It's strange. What happened happens again and again and again. Here is Ahasuerus, the most powerful individual in the world at that time, controlling. He is the monarch, the king of the entire civilized world. And what happens? What happens is that he is threatened by the presence of the Jewish people, a minority within a minority within a minority. 
And while once upon a time we thought anti-Semitism is dead, all we have to take a look is at the headlines of events around the world, throughout the world, and we see that it's not. And while, of course, there are different types of anti-Semitism, there is the brutal force, the brutal destruction of our people. When we see otherwise civilized nations acting like absolute savages, as we have witnessed in our own lifetimes. And then, of course, there is the subtle anti-Semitism. Don't take your Jewishness too seriously. Don't become a mishuga from. This is how the Megillah begins. But as I said before, while, of course, it's a wonderful, beautiful story, a story of pageantry, a story of excitement, and ultimately a story of victory, in order for us to understand what, in fact, the Megillah is really all about, we have to dig deeper. As you've heard me say in different contexts, the obvious, the simple, is not simple at all, not obvious at all. Something which is complicated, something which is difficult to understand, we know that it's complicated and difficult. Something which is simple and delivered in a simple sort of way, well, we think it's something which is, well, not complicated. But within simplicity, within the ordinary, lies incredible depths, profound teachings, great insights, sometimes even greater than the most complicated laws and concepts. And this is why we look at the Megillah, we have to ask ourselves, what is it with this strange, strange book? The name of God is not mentioned. We're obligated to hear the Megillah being read. After all, it's only a wonderful story. What's hidden? Where are the great treasures within the Megillah? More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. How does all of this connect? How does the concept of memory, how does the concept of Purim, how does the concept of what Achashverosh and Amalek and Haman wanted to do to the Jewish people, how does all this connect with the Parsha of the week? Tetzav, as mentioned earlier on, Tetzav is the only Parsha since the birth of Moshe where his name is not mentioned. Strange. Moshe, after all, is the central figure in Torah. And yet in this particular Parsha, his name is not mentioned. You know what happened during Purim? Haman decided when would be the best time to destroy the Jewish people. And he knew that it would be difficult for him to determine that terrible, terrible decision. So he decided that he was going to do a lottery. In Persian, the word for lottery was poor, hence Purim. And the lottery came out that you should do it in the month of Adar. And he was thrilled that the lottery came out, that the destruction of the Jewish people, the final and total destruction of all the Jewish people and all the lands in one day, should be during the month of Adar. Because when he took a look at the calendar, he said there are no Jewish festivals in the month of Adar. Only one day of importance. And that day is when Moshe died. <laughs> he thought to himself, how terrific, the day that Moshe died the great protector of the Jewish people, the great leader of the Jewish people, is no longer physically with us. And therefore, what a perfect time to put his terrible, terrible plan into effect. What he did not realize 
is that with righteous people as with an old people, even though they are physically not with us. In their physical absence, greater and more powerful dimensions of their leadership, of their blessing, comes to the fore. You heard that right, yes. While they are physically here, we have all sorts of wonderful connections. But in their absence, in their physical absence, is the source of incredible blessings. He didn't realize that. Haman did not realize that because he had a limited view of spiritual dimension. He thought the end of life is the end of life. He didn't realize that the neshama, the soul, lives on and the leadership of someone like Moses will never be forgotten. And we see that in the Parsha itself. Moshe had told God that if you destroy the Jewish people, then you can erase me from your holy book. And once a righteous man says something, it has to be fulfilled. And this is why this particular Parsha was chosen. And yet, in the absence of his name, we are overwhelmed by the presence of Moshe. How does it all begin? How does the Parsha begin? You will instruct. And as our Kabbalistic and Hasidic masters teach us, the word is not only order or instruct. But Tzitzaveh comes from the root Tzavtavichibur, connect. God is telling the Moshe, you, Atta, you directly, not in the third person, as he is referred to through the entire Torah, and God spoke to Moses. Here we find face to face, God is saying to Moshe directly, Ve'ata, you, Tzitzaveh, you will be the one that connects the Jewish people to me. And how is that done, tell us our Hasidic masters? It's done through the fact that Moshe was the Raya Mehemna. He was the shepherd of faith, not only a faithful shepherd, but the shepherd of faith. He nurtured faith, faith to God in each and every single Jew. That was his great gift, the ability to help a Jew come to understand the depths of his soul and that he possesses this incredible energy of faith toward God. Yes, his name is not mentioned, but his presence is felt perhaps more than in any other Parsha where his name isn't mentioned, as mentioned before. In absence, sometimes there is the greatest degree of presence The more ordinary something appears, the more simple something looks. Don't be fooled by that facade of simplicity, because within that simplicity is contained the incredible dimensions of so many different things. I often use the example of the prism. You probably remember in science, you shine white light through a prism, out comes all the colors of the rainbow. Within that clear piece of glass within that simple white light is contained this incredible range of beautiful colors. What we see is a white light going into a piece of glass. What we see on the other side is this magnificent rainbow of colors. What appears to be ordinary and simple is anything but This is the story of Megillat Esther. This is the story of how we have to listen to the Megillah. Because what, after all, is the underlying message of Megillat Esther? Hashgachah Pratit, divine providence, 
The fact that God guides each and every single event at a particular time, in a particular way, to each and every one of us. We walk along the path of life, and we enjoy free choice, but free choice is an incredible combination between our own free choice and the incredible divine providence where God leads the step of each and every single individual. And this is why our commentaries, our sages tell us, you have to read the Megillah in proper order, because then it flows, it unfolds. You begin to see the divine providence of a king who kills his wife and looks for another bride, and the story of Haman and the story of Mordechai, you see it. You know, what would appear to be an ordinary story is anything but because even though God's name is not mentioned, we sense the presence of God in each and every single sentence of the Megillah as it develops, as it is told, as it is read. And this is what Tetzaveh is all about. Tetzaveh is the absence of Moshe's name, but his presence is felt in far greater. His presence is seen in far greater dimension. He is the one who nurtures the faith in each and every one of us. You, says God, the Atah, God speaking directly to Moshe, says, Titzaveh, that will become your duty, your privilege, your responsibility, your great expression of loving leadership. It all comes together. Zachor to remember good and positive things that lead us to good, constructive, developmental dimensions of life. We speak about the idea of Purim, Purim being a time that we begin to understand that the ordinary is anything but and we see divine providence in each and every single step in the absence of Moshe we see the great presence of Moshe and all this comes together in Shul, this Shabbos the Shabbos before Purim the Shabbos that we read Zachor and the Shabbos of course that we read Titzaveh, so don't forget Monday night and Tuesday morning, you must, men, women, children, you must listen to the Megillah. And make sure that you read it from a book that you understand. And listen to the story carefully. It's a story of life. When you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the Try and hear the presence of Moshe. Yes, we talk about the garments for the priests. We talk about all sorts of sacrifices. But listen to the message that is contained therein. The presence of Moshe has to be felt in his physical absence. And when it comes to the second Torah, read and listen carefully to what Amalek tried to do with us and the great victory that came about. Listen to the story of his destructive desire presented, well, in a seeming accepting way. But we know what, in fact, his intentions are. His intentions are total destruction of the Jewish people, and that will never happen that God won't allow, that we will do our best not to allow. This special Shabbos, be in shul. Everybody should be in shul tomorrow to hear the reading of Zachor. Listen carefully to the entire Parsha. Listen carefully to the story of Zachor. Prepare properly for a magnificent Purim. May it be joyous beyond words, in feast, in festivity, in all that you'll be doing, sharing gifts and sharing Charity, do whatever it is that you have to do to make the Purim really meaningful. It begins with this Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos.